Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The Crisis Next Door, a weekly report on the biggest conflicts around the world with host Jason Brooks. Thanks for listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks. Voters in the Philippines' southern islands have approved a new Muslim-led region in the hopes of ending decades of conflict with the government in Manila. As part of the deal, the Moro Islamic Liberation Front is laying down its weapons and shifting into a political role. Joining the crisis next door to examine what this means for the Philippines is Joshua Kurlancic, a senior fellow for Southeast Asia at the Council on Foreign Relations. He also recently authored the book, A Great Place to Have a War, America in Laos, and the Birth of a Military CIA. Joshua, thanks for joining the crisis next door. Thanks. How big of a breakthrough is Muslim self-rule in the southern Philippines? Yeah, I mean, I think it's an important breakthrough. Um, you know, there's been decades of uh, centuries, really, actually, but dec- in more recent times, decades of tensions and violence uh, in the south um, and between the government in Manila and different groups in the south. The MILF or the, is one of the... Um, was or has been one of the major insurgent groups, but there was there have been other ones as well, some of whom didn't sign the deal. Um, and the region has suffered because of that um, conflict, even though Mindanao, which is the biggest island in the southern region, you know has enormous resources and potential. It has suffered, and the rest of the region has suffered economically because of the lack of stability. So it's a major, potentially a major breakthrough, yes. I mean, we'll have to see. So not only politically, but stability could bring much-needed investment as well that could help the region too. So it is potentially a major breakthrough. We'll have to see what, you know, what about the implementation. Now, you mentioned the fact that there are some other rebel factions that did not sign on to this. Is that going to be a big issue? Is that something that Manila and the MILF will be able to overcome in this new agreement? Well, it's going to be an issue, certainly. Um, the group, some of the groups that are holdouts, I would re- they're more like bandit and terrorist groups than ex- insurgents and that they don't have very large number of followers but they have been devastating in certain ways and they're known for kidnapping banditry and terrorism and one of those is uh the abu sayyaf which is a long time i mean they are technically a separatist group but they also have done a lot of sort of banditry that doesn't really fit political uh definitions um, and yeah, I think it's going to be a problem. Certainly, I mean, there was a major bombing at a cathedral in the Philippines in late January where uh, 20 people were killed. That cathedral has been attacked by the Abu Sayyaf before. There are also, Abu Sayyaf has sort of built links with the Islamic State. Um, so I would imagine you're going to see more attacks like that and attempts to scuttle the peace process. 
by the upper south and possibly other groups, and whether the Philippine government and the MILF can stop them, I think is an open question. I mean, the Abu Sayyaf has been hunted for decades. They were actually hunted, attempted to be hunted in the early 2000s by the Philippines in coordination with U.S. Special Forces who came to the Philippines after 9-11 to help. And they have managed to survive. They're pretty... Um, savvy and they're operating in parts of the southern Philippines that are extremely inaccessible. So it's gonna be it's gonna be difficult definitely and there probably there could well be an upsurge of violence in the coming months as groups that are not favorable to the peace process want to try to scuttle it. Is the MILF helping Manila in fighting Abu Sayyaf and, and other Islamic state affiliated factions that are in the southern Philippines? Yeah, I mean they have in the past I mean they have in recent years provided some assistance. I mean, a key part of this was that the MILF was supposed to help. Um, then in 2017, um, there was this extended siege in a city in the southern Philippines called Marawi, where Islamic State-linked fighters, Abu Sayyaf-linked fighters, took the city, and the Philippine military attacked the city. And there was a long siege in which the city was devastated, and they did clear much of the fighters, but also engaged in very heavy-handed tactics, which were probably outside, well outside of the um, normal uh, rules of engagement. And that that made it kind of hard for the MILF and just anyone sympathetic to the Philippine national government to want to help um, because they had essentially engaged in almost wanton attacks, wanton bombings in a number of places of the Philippine Armed Forces. But yeah, I mean, the, so the MLF is supposed to be in charge of a, much of the internal policing in this new region. And they have made some efforts um, against the Abbasayaf and others. Um, so I think it's possible that they're definitely needed to try to actually crush the other small insurgent groups. The Philippine military had indicated some success early in January going after uh, Islamic State-affiliated groups. And, and then you mentioned those bombings that took place, uh, including the twin terrorist bombings at that church on Sulu Island, killing over two dozen people. Uh, where is the Philippine military struggling in trying to root out these groups? Is it just the nature of the topography in these southern Philippine islands making it that difficult to get to them? Well, it's hard, you know, I mean, you have people who are operating in islands where they can move from island to island and small, hard to track boats. They have, they can obtain resources through banditry, through kidnapping, um, their experience. They've been doing this for decades. The Philippine military is not particularly well resourced, um, particularly in counterinsurgency, although, you know, some elements of the military have had training from the U.S. and other foreign actors for years. Um, the military, they are not great at both the counterinsurgency tactics of trying to actually find and locate people or tactics of winning hearts and minds. They also, the Philippine military, you know, I can't, I'm not going to say this for sure, but I mean, I think one, it's also can be speculation that the Abu Sayyaf has ambushed them in firefights and really taken it to them several times, which may also understandably make 
some soldiers working in the southern Philippines, operating in the southern Philippines, wary about confronting the Abu Sayyaf. But um, yeah, the topography and just the history of a group that knows its area really well and fighting against military who are mostly were not from there and may not know the area that well is certainly a major factor. The Islamic State in other parts of the world, the Middle East or in Africa, rely on a lot of foreign fighters. Is that the case also in the southern Philippines, that a lot of foreign fighters are showing up to battle Manila? Yeah, not a lot, but there were foreign fighters coming last year. There were some foreign fighters last year in the siege of, um, in the siege of Malawi uh, that, that uh, sorry, Malawi, that... Um, that uh, town in the southern Philippines that was sea besieged and then battered. There was a couple. There was a couple hundred foreign militants who had flocked there for the battle. Um, so yes, um, in that case, historically going back decades, the Abu the MILF and the Abu Sayyaf has not been like attracting foreign fighters on a level of like Islamic State was in. Syria and Iraq, but Abu Saf has had some foreign fighters in the past too. And then the Marawi siege attracted a lot of people because it was just like a huge battle and it got an enormous amount of coverage. And there was also people who had returned from the Middle East who were now back in who were now back in Southeast Asia who were maybe attracted to that as well. Marari looked like a city out of Syria or yeah. Yemen. Uh, it just absolutely shattered and. High casualties. Is the city returning to any sense of normalcy? Is the rebuilding taking place at least now? Uh, there's rebuilding, but it's been going pretty slowly. There's been a lot of squabbling over the rebuilding. Um, China has pledged some significant sums to the rebuilding. The Philippine government is squabbling with China over the, those monies, and and you know, and I think it's. I haven't felt tracked, you know, month by month, but um. My impression was that the rebuilding has gone very, very slowly, if at all, in a lot of parts of Marawi. You're listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks, and we're talking about Muslim self-rule in the southern Philippines with Joshua Kurlancic, a senior fellow for Southeast Asia at the Council on Foreign Relations. President Duterte is a supporter of this new region of self-rule, the Bangsamoro. How did that come about, and what are his motivations in supporting Muslim self-rule in the southern Philippines? Well, just to talk about Duterte is a big topic. I mean, so, you know, I mean, Duterte, um, although he wasn't born in Mindanao, he spent much of his life in, in Mindanao in the south. And so for whatever ever his other huge flaws, including his undermining of the rule of law and presiding over a brutal extrajudicial uh, drug war using extrajudicial means, including death squads. And I mean, we could have go over a long list of Duterte's really significant problems and how he's affected the Philippines' historically quite vibrant democracy. Um, he has shown um, a longstanding interest in the conflict in the South and um, probably more sort of um, sympathy or just willingness to be, to make, to deal um, with the South than most other Philippine presidents. I should say that the, his predecessor, Benigno Aquino, Benigno Aquino III, or Noi Noi, did start this process. So it wasn't like Duterte came up with the idea of 
a peace deal that also, you know, goes along with autonomy in the southern Philippines. But, um, yeah, I mean, Duterte, I think, has genuine interest in this topic, and he doesn't have genuine interest in a lot of other topics, so that's helpful. And he probably does enjoy a significant degree of trust in the southern Philippines, simply from being viewed as a local, although he's not not exactly local, but... and. Um, if the deal works and there's peace and development, it certainly also would benefit Duterte's claim to be a transformative a transformative leader. Duterte has been in office for almost four years, and, and you mentioned some of the factors that have altered the uh, Filipino landscape, whether it be in politics or economics. Is his presidency still the monolith that it was, or is it taking on any water? He seems to be involved in some political scandals that aren't necessarily going his way these days. Well, I think that Duterte has had some, there's been some deterioration of his popularity, some mild deterioration due to issues like um, inflation and the rising cost of staple goods and um, to probably just to some degree of fatigue with an incumbent. And although this actually isn't, I think, the main reason for his, for any drop in popularity, but a, a minor reason is, you know, some people dis- disenchanted with his drug war policy, although frankly, that, that still appears to be quite popular in the Philippines. But over um, overall, as the Philippines heads into actually their next cycle of elections, um, Duterte is popularity, and I say this as someone who is, I think Duterte has been terrible for Philippine democracy, but um, Duterte's popularity is still very high, and his approval rating is still very high. It's at levels that would be, that would make an American president, any American president in history, you know, thrilled. He's, he's in, in levels that are very high for any elected politician. So, and the opposition in the Philippines, he has weakened them. They have weakened themselves through by not coalescing. Um, this goes back to actually to the election when Duterte was elected initially. There were a number of other candidates, and if they had, if one or two of them had dropped out and backed the others, possible Duterte would never have been elected. But yeah, so long and short, um, yes, Duterte has been damaged somewhat, but I mean he's still in a seat of very significant popularity. Duterte has started to align the Philippines more with China, and that seems to have created some consternation from some corners in the Philippines, including the military. How big of an issue is that for Duterte? Does he really have full support of the military still? No, I mean, that's an issue, but I'm not sure how much of an issue it is on an everyday level in terms of his relationship with the populist, but it's definitely a huge strategic issue. First, it's unclear. I should say Duterte has a long, long history of anti-American for going back decades. And this has been well documented. The Wall Street Journal has done some really excellent stories about this and other outlets. He grew up and dealt a lot with people in the South. And in the South, was there's, very, there's historically very strong anti-American sentiment in the Philippines. It was a place where during the U.S. occupation of the Philippines, the anti-insurgency campaign or the counter-insurgency campaign was its most brutal. Um, Duterte claims, I mean, there's no way to prove this, but there's also, we don't have reason to necessarily d- dispute this claim. He claims that he was abused when he was a 
young young man by an American priest. Um, and when Duterte was mayor of Davao, a city in Mindanao, um, there was a series of incidents that further entrenched his anti-Americanism, including a mysterious incident in which there was a bombing. And Duterte alleges that the U.S. spirited out of the country, out of Mindanao, someone who was in or somehow linked to the CIA. That, that That's not verified, but... And then he has also at times said that he was denied a visa to the United States. Unclear if that's true. Certainly would be, wouldn't be hard to imagine since we have at times barred people who have serious human records of human rights abuses. And as mayor of Davao, Duterte had a very terrible human rights record. So this is a guy who's been, has had strong anti-American sentiments his whole life. Um, but in his first couple of years, he really strongly was trying to shift the Philippines to be more closer to China strategically. And he has backed off on that somewhat from, due to pressure from the military, possibly due to just his own pragmatism about he needs to balance the U.S. and, and China. Um, also, in the battle in the southern Philippines over Marawi and just the general need to take on insurgents in the south, he has needed more support from the U.S., the U.S. is still generally quite popular in polls of the Philippine public, so I think it's a little overstated. But um, yeah, th there's a lot of pushback in the military and the national security apparatus in the Philippines about moving too close to China. How important would the Philippines be for Beijing? Would this further legitimize China's expansion in the South China Sea with its artificial islands turned into military outposts? Yeah, I mean... The relationship is closer under, with China under Duterte, so China has already made inroads. And the Philippines is a U.S. treaty ally, so anything that China can sort of gain, they could potentially see as coming at the U.S. expense. And China has gotten, to some degree, acceptance by the Philippines of some of China's, not formal acceptance, but, so, but they got in the Philippines under Duterte to take a less assertive stand on China's approach to the South China Sea. So the previous Philippine government had taken China to an international tribunal in The Hague to argue about South, overlapping South China Sea claims and China's quite expansive claims. Um, and that tribunal found for the Philippines. And then Duterte basically ignored that decision or did very little with it. So just from that alone, China benefits. And China stands to potentially benefit economically, too, although, although there has been some concerns about the impact of China's economic relationship and aid and in the Philippines. But, um, yeah, I mean, if Duterte was going to take further steps and move even closer to China, as he suggested he was going to early on, and really downgrade the U.S. relationship, he's downgraded it somewhat, but then that would be a pretty significant shift in geopolitics in the region. I mean, this is a U.S. treaty ally with important geopolitical significance for the United States in sitting astride one of the most contested seas in the world and one of the major trade routes in the world. So, yeah, it's, a, it's a, of importance. Now, Manila, even considering repealing the U.S.-Philippine 1951 Mutual Defense Treaty, why are Asian nations, including the Philippines, questioning America's strategic reliability? 
Well, I'm not sure that the Philippines is questioning America's strategic reliability as much as Duterte has long had certain views of the United States and many, and some of the Philippines do about sort of the U.S.'s relationship as being one that's unequal and and doesn't isn't necessarily in the Philippines' interest in other ways. I don't. I mean, I think there's a variance. You know, some countries in the region that are quite concerned about China's strategic approach, like Singapore and Vietnam. Um, even to some extent, Malaysia and Indonesia have sought closer relations with the United States in recent years. And other countries that feel more comfortable with China's growing regional power, like Thailand, Cambodia, and to some extent the Philippines, have sought closer relations with China, have been willing to pay less attention to their relations with the United States. Cambodia's relations with the United States are already quite poor. So, I mean, there is also just got to be some degree of acceptance that this is China's natural near neighborhood. And <clears throat> to some extent, they're going to become a much more influential power. The question is whether they're going to do so in a way that respects, you know, international rules and norms and um, whether even in the future they can be the most powerful actor in the region and also sort of promote peace and stability in the region, which, you know, I, I'm not sure about that, but... And then, you know, many think both the Obama administration and the Trump administration have made some pledges to the region on security and strategic issues that only partially have panned out. And that also doesn't really help sort of the U.S.'s presence and the image of the U.S. in the region. It's going to be interesting to follow the future path of the Philippines. Joshua, thank you very much for joining us here on The Crisis Next Door. Thanks for having me. We've been joined by Joshua Kurlancic, a senior fellow for Southeast Asia at the Council on Foreign Relations. Thanks for listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks. Till next time. The Crisis Next Door with host Jason Brooks is produced weekly. If you have any thoughts for Jason, email him at tcndpodcast at kcbsradio.com. Again, that's tcndpodcast at kcbsradio.com. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. T Mobile.com.